0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective. As I've said many times, uh, very few things are as important to God as our motives. Doing the right thing with the wrong motives is not acceptable to God. That's not acceptable to God. We, we need to do the right things as he empowers us and for the right motive, which is to glorify God, for God to be manifested and revealed to this world through us as his conduits. Uh, This is uh, part two of the series again, and uh, this is lesson number five. And uh, we are considering again that shame is probably the most uh, single negative factor that influences wrong motives in us. It's the need to know we're loved, to know we're accepted, but to try to earn it rather than receive it as a gift from God. And so we're discussing that. Today's lesson is seeing ourselves through God's eyes. And uh, seeing ourselves from God's eyes means we're seeing ourselves from his perspective, for some people, that means letting go of self-importance. For others, it means learning self-acceptance. It can seeing ourselves from from God's perspective or through God's eyes uh, meets us wherever we are. It's not us com- being compared to others, because the Scripture says if we measure ourselves among ourselves, compare ourselves. By ourselves, we're not wise. And what's the opposite of being wise? It's foolish. So if, if we are, if we, u- we're using others to measure ourselves, then we're not wise. And shame causes us to do that, at least subconsciously, whether we know we're doing it or not, we are doing it. We measure ourselves by others and we compare ourselves with others. And that's what shame is really focused on, really focused on. Because if I am at peace with God and at peace with myself, and if my focus is to uh, let him measure me and communicate with me in any one moment how he sees me to be, I have peace. I don't, I don't need to compare myself with others. I don't need to measure myself by others if I am at peace with God and at peace with myself. And of course, I cannot be at peace with myself if I'm not first at peace with God. But many people have done their best to be at peace with God without ever truly making peace with themselves, not just their present, but with their past. I can't forget those things that are behind if they're still affecting me consciously or subconsciously today. I I have to make peace with them. I've described it this way many times, uh, but there is a uh, graveyard in the back of a little country church in northwest Florida. uh, There are two graves there. Uh, If I walk up to those graves, I am not reading just somebody's name and birth and death date. That's my mom and my dad. That's not history there. That's my past. Now, I live in Annapolis, Maryland. And there are some very historical cemeteries here. And I have walked through some of them and read the names and the dates and, and whatever is said about them on the gravestone. I see that. I don't have any emotional response to it. I have a, my mind thinks about it or whatever, but there's no emotional response because that is, uh, that's history. It's not my past. But that little graveyard in Northwest Florida. That's not history. That is my past. And there's emotions connected with my past. And my past affects my present. Because I see everything through the filter of that. So if I have not resolved those things between the Lord and I, and the Lord in enabling me to resolve those things with myself, then I am being affected by that every day. And one of the main symptoms of the way that affects me every day is Because of the way I feel negatively about myself, I'm constantly comparing myself with others, constantly measuring myself by others. That's called shame. And it's wrong motive. Because when I preach to be great, because great means better than somebody else, wrong motive. When I sing to be great, a great singer or a great musician, the, the word great means better than somebody else. Great meaning what? The question is not how I measure up with others. The question is how I measure up with God. Well, the only way I can measure up with God is to receive his love as a gift unconditionally. I've said it many times. God loves us just like we are. He loves us too much to leave us like we are. So I don't change to earn God's love. I receive God's love to change. That, that's, not simple, that's not semantics, my friend. That is fundamental. That is a, such a fundamental biblical principle that uh, it is the dividing line in many cases between those who have right mo- wrong motives and those who have right motives. It's the dividing line. And when I am struggling with shame, I am struggling with my need for importance, but it's importance from my perspective. So that's self-importance. If I'm struggling with wanting to do things to feel better about myself, then I'm struggling with acceptance, but it's not just acceptance. It's acceptance of myself or self-acceptance. And when I see myself from God's perspective, He lets me see if I'm willing to be honest with myself and him. He lets me see my motives in the light of, am I trying to increase my importance or just be a conduit for God to be glorified? Am I trying to increase my own acceptance of myself or just to be a conduit for people to know about God, believe in him and obey him? Which is it? It's not both. Well, can it be both? No. He will not share his glory with others. And again, the word glory there, the root, of the literal definition of glory is opinion. And when I'm doing anything or not doing anything that the Lord has called me to do, and consciously or subconsciously, my purpose is to affect people's opinion of me or even God's opinion of me in the sense that I'm trying to earn it. I'm touching God's glory. And as I've already taught, a little leaven, leaven's the whole lump. It doesn't take much wrong motive to work its way into everything we do without even knowing it. That's why we need God to show us us. The heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, he said. David prayed, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, Psalms 139. So the point is that we need to see ourselves through from uh God's perspective. We need to let him show us who we are. So for some, that means letting go of self-importance. For others, it means learning self-acceptance. Uh, In either case, it means understanding our need for God and other people. There's a hunger at the core of our beings that all the success in the world cannot begin to satisfy. Neither can all the things we use and abuse in order to not feel our sense of failure satisfy us. You say, well, I don't abuse things. Well, wait till this lesson's over before you definitively make that statement. Why? Why? Why is it I have this need? It's called spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger can only be satisfied through relationship with God and those that love God. Satisfaction comes through a true meeting meaning of our spirit with God's spirit and through true fellowship soul to soul with fellow believers. This world cannot satisfy my emptiness, my spiritual hunger. It cannot. It is not able to do that. No matter how much, uh, self-importance I gain, no matter how much self-acceptance I gain, it will never be enough to satisfy this emptiness because only God can give me true importance and only God can give me true acceptance. And so we love him because he loved us, first loved us. So his love being given to me is his acceptance. He loves me. That doesn't even mean he approves of everything in my life. But he loves me. He loves me just like I am. And I have to ex- receive that love without trying to earn that love. And if I don't do that, then I'm not truly loving God and letting God love me. Because if I'm trying to earn God's love by doing good, doing right, if my motive for doing good and doing right is to get God to love me, it's not going to work. It's not acceptable to him. You know, we mean well. You know, I have to get a license to drive a car. I don't have to have a license to be a parent. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. God is the one that tells us how to be a parent, not man. So the issue comes down to this. How many times uh, have we said innocently to our kids, kids, you're going someplace now, be good. Be good and I'll bring you. Be good and I'll do. Be good. That's the wrong message. God doesn't say, be good and I'll. No, he doesn't. Because there is. In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul said that. And if that's true of Paul, it's sure true of me. So I can't be good so that the Lord will give me, so that the Lord will bless me, so that I can't. Paul said in Romans 3, There is none good, no, not one. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the only thing I can do, the only thing I can do is receive the love of God. As a gift. Now, once once he loves me, and I know he loves me, then his love will work in me to both give me the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. So whatever changes I make then won't be me changing so that I can win his love. It will be him working change in me so he can get the glory. That is a huge difference. There's a huge difference in those things. Our acceptance of rejecting, uh, rejection of interpersonal relationship reveals whether shame is present or not. Is it easy for you to, have a, to love God and him, love you back, or is it hard? Is it easy for you to love other people and let them love you back, or is it hard? There are a lot of people that find it really easy to give but very difficult to receive. Let me tell you something. The reason we can't receive is shame. And when we try to earn what uh, what God or others are trying to freely give without us earning it, that's shame. And that's wrong motive. We have to accept this fact. We need God. We are created to need God. Furthermore, we are created to need other people. Adam didn't say to God, how come all these animals have two and there's only one of me? God said, it is not good for man to be alone. He made woman so that they could share together and be together. And whether you're married or not, you need people. Now, some people... They don't have a problem acknowledging their need of people. They just have a problem acknowledging their need of God. God first, people second. I've got to put my need of God first before my need of people. If I put my need of people before God, uh, it's not going to work. Proverbs 18 and 1 says, Through desire a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. If I'm really going to know God, I'm going to have to be willing to invest time alone with God. Just him and I. No distractions. Just him and I. But if I if I do that, then how many times does the scripture say I'm supposed to love my brother? And it's talking about loving males. His brother there is the brotherhood which includes all male or females that are in the body of Christ. I'm supposed to love the saints of God. I'm supposed to love the people of God. And if I do that, eventually, God will give me his love for the lost. And then I could obey the second greatest commandment, which is to love my neighbor as myself. So my neighbor there is those that are not in the body of Christ. So we are created to need God. We're created to need people. And poverty of spirit, we talked about in the last couple of lessons, recognizes this. When I come to the end of myself, and I know I'm not an island, and I'm not sufficient, and I'm not trying to to, to, uh, to sing the opera song uh, that is the favorite song of so many people today, me, 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 me. Or use my favorite words, be mine, mine, or some form of those. I have to let the Lord help me to recognize through the poverty of my spirit coming to the end of myself that i need him i need to be at peace with him and i need to be at peace with myself so that i can p- be at peace with others the bible says follow hebrews 12:14 uh, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see god why does it say follow peace with all men because To be at peace with men, mankind, I have to be first at peace with myself. But to be at peace with myself, I have to first be at peace with God. We have to understand that by ourselves, we are inadequate. We are insufficient. We are not, I got this, I can do this myself, whatever. Why? Because if that's your attitude or my attitude, then the flip side of that attitude is I don't need anybody else. And they may need me, but they're not getting me because I am my own person who is, the, I'm my own entity. I'm my own uh, universe. I don't need anybody else, and nobody else can get in not my universe. And the only people. I have any relationship with or those who can do something for me. Even though I don't acknowledge that to my conscious mind, that's really the motive. I only have a relationship with God depending on what he can do for me. I only have a relationship with people depending on what they can do for me. And if either God or people aren't doing for me what I'm expecting for them to do for me, then I cut them off. Because it's... Me, 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 me. No matter how hard we try to convince ourselves, we know at the fundamental level within us that we are incomplete. Ecclesiastes 3, a couple of different translations says, God has put eternity in the heart of every man. There is an emptiness here that he alone can fill. Now, we spend our whole lives without God trying to fill that emptiness. And it doesn't matter what you're trying to f- fill it with. <clears throat> uh, money, fame, uh, sex, uh, uh, education, success, uh, <clears throat> you name it. Drugs, alcohol, those kind of things, that, thats those are obvious, but they, they sure don't work. We all know people that have given themselves over to trying to use those things to fill that empty. They say, we know it doesn't work for them. It's not going to work for us either. So we need, we need God to fill that emptiness. And once that emptiness is filled, he wants to share that that filling with others who are filled by him. And then he wants all of us to share that filling with those who are empty. We will not begin to grow emotionally and spiritually until we accept our inadequacies, poverty of spirit. That's true spiritual humility. And allow ourselves to feel the pain that accompanies them. I have to be willing to work through with the Holy Ghost by the grace of God, according to the Word of God. I've got to be able to work through those things for me to get delivered of the negative effects and for the wounds to get healed. The only worth we have is not self worth, the only worth we have is worth that comes from god it's it's worth that comes by revelation from god it's when god shows us who we are in him that's the only revelation we have that's the only worth we have we must understand that poverty of spirit is not about intrinsic unworthiness we're not talking about being unworthy Shame is unworthiness. I am worthy. I'm worthy because he loved me. He He gave me value by loving me. He gave me value by dying on the cross for me. I am worthy because of his love, not because of anything I've done, but because of the value he placed on me. God makes it clear in the scripture that we are incred- incredibly valuable to him. And I just want to read some scriptures to you. In closing out this lesson, we are created in the very image of God. Genesis 1, 26, 27, and God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Humans are the only part of creation that God has made in his image except for the angels. That's why he said, let us make man in our own image. When the actual creation took place, God did the creating. But the Bible says the the sons of God or the angels of God were present at creation and rejoiced. The creation of the earth, they were there. They observed that. So they had to be present when God said, when God was ready to make man. So he's communicating with them what he's going to do. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. But when he did the creation, God did the creating. God did the creating. But we are so valuable to God. We are the only part of his creation that he made in his exact image. The Lord said through to and through David, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalms one thirty nine fourteen. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and, and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. And you say, well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? No, no, no. It is the absolute acknowledgement that God created us and that the human being is the most sophisticated element of God's creation. Man has never been able to remotely duplicate the full capabilities of the nervous system, the respiratory system, the digestive system, the mind, the heart, the lungs, the eyes, the ears, the sense of touch. Man has tried to duplicate the five senses. Man has tried to duplicate these systems of the body, the organs of the body. Man's tried to do that, but man has... A, 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 a man's best efforts are so far simplistic compared to the complication of the whole. Just the atom itself. That these last uh, uh, few centuries where there's been microscopes and then the electron microscope that actually allows you to observe the atom. And when they were able to see the the atom itself and they saw it as a nucleus with uh, the hydrogen atom being the simplest one of all with one nuclei, a, nu- a proton in the nucleus and one uh, electron revolving around it. And every atom gets more sophisticated that with more and more protons in the nucleus and more and more electrons. And then they've got these huge telescopes that now can see far, far in the universe. And what do they recognize? The same exact pattern. So God is so awesome that he took this pattern and he made it in the smallest of possible observable uh, systems and he made it in the in the biggest of possible observable systems from man's perspective. He can't do that. Man can't do that. Man can't do that. And if you want to know how great God is and how fearfully and wonderfully made we are, Man, man, according to uh, uh, physics, uh, opposites uh, repel uh, or opposites attract and, and likes repel a nu- nucleus is made up of like particles. What holds all those particles together that are supposed to be repelling? God, how much power's in that? Well, look at Hiroshima, and Nagasaki. When man, in his earliest, most primitive efforts to cause division in the nucleus, dividing the atom, released an amount of energy that's beyond our comprehension. That's why nuclear explosions are not like all the other explosions we've known. Chemical explosions can be devastating, and they're huge. But nuclear explosions versus chemical explosions are just absolutely, they're not comparable hardly because nuclear explosions are many, 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 many times the power of the strongest chemical explosions. And we come back to this. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So God has, God has made me so that I can understand how important I was to him. How about this one? Wonder if God cares about you? Uh, the very, the very hairs on our head are numbered. Hebrew, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And fear not them which can kill the, bo- which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, for ye are more valuable. Uh, you're you're of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Now, according to the Greek construction, there. It didn't say, it's not saying he knows the count of the total number of hairs on my head at any one time, so great is his interest in me. But each hair has a number. And God being God, and, uh, you know, we, we look at him from our perspective. God's so busy, he doesn't have time for me. Really? He is so beyond our ability to comprehend he is able and does keep track of each hair that falls out of our head. That's what the book says. So how valuable to God are you? The scripture says that he has loved us with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have, have I drawn thee. God never stops loving man. You say, well, why would he send people to hell if he loves them? Because he cannot violate man's will. And if man makes wrong choices, then that person's going to hell, not because God doesn't love them, but that person's going to hell because they don't love God and because they have not believed God and they have not given themselves to God. But God is love. He can't change. If he loved us enough to die for us, he's going to love every individual that's burning in hell forever. They're not in hell because God stopped loving them. They're in hell because they never loved God or they stopped loving God if they ever did. So every person is accountable for their own choices, including God. Everybody's accountable for their choices. But he has loved us with an everlasting love. Well, God doesn't love me. That's impossible. Well, look what I've done. It's impossible. It's impossible for God to stop loving you. God never stopped loving Hitler. God never stopped loving Stalin. Now that doesn't mean they ever received His love. That doesn't mean there was any, ever any kind of relationship between them. But there does come a point when the Scripture says, "My," He said, "My Spirit will always will not always strive with man." So it is possible. It is possible for us to push God, so to speak, to the point that even though he still loves us, we've convinced him to stop dealing with us. What a fearful thing that is. Romans 1, three times talking about God gave them up or God gave them over. (laughs) Friend, let me tell you something. The very last thing I want in this entire world, there is nothing else. I want less than for God to give up on me. In fact, I tell him at times, your patience with me is beyond my comprehension, but I thank you for it. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. No matter what I'm going through, no matter how much I'm struggling, thank you for not giving up on me. And then finally, finally, Another proof of God's uh, of our value to God is He knows the plans He has for us, plans to make us prosper, to give us hope and a future. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So the point is this: He has a plan for every one of us. The problem is, He cannot make us in this life. This dimension called temporal time. He cannot make us give ourselves to him and his plan. He can't do it, but he does have a plan. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. Now, the plans aren't exactly the same because each one of us has an individual place in his body. Every one of us has an individual place in him. But he does have a plan for you. That's how important it is. And you can't judge his plan for you by where you are right now, especially if you're struggling, especially if you you have shame you're struggling with wrong motives. God knows his own ability to help us past every bit of that. God knows his own ability to bring us to the place in him that he can fulfill his plan through us. God knows his own ability to do that. But he also knows we have to love him enough to let him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that the eyes of our understanding, yours and mine, would be enlightened, that we can know by revelation how in, 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 in un, amazingly valuable we are in the eyes of God, that we might know his plan and be assured he has a plan for us. Even when it doesn't look like anything is going on, even though we're still struggling with ourselves in areas, confidence in God says he has a plan for me and he has the ability to get me to the place that he can fulfill his plan. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I speak the spirit of grace upon you and me that that may be worked in us to his glory.